This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I am RJ Balog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're having a go at John McKenzie's The Long Good Friday from 1980. But first, RJ, what's up? Everything sucks. Oh. <laughs> it's horrible out there, Jarrett. Yeah, it sure as shit is. <laughs> It's winter. The snow is here. It went from like minus five to minus like 20 in a night. Yep. Um, I got to do a thesis thing next week. That sucks. That's horrible. Yep. Uh, to top it all off, I uh, got one of my cats a sweater because uh, she's really little and she's been cold lately. And I got her a sweater to so that she can be warm and she hated it. Aww. So I just can't fucking do anything right, I guess. <laughs> How how does your how did your cat demonstrate its hate? Uh, I have pictures. Okay. Uh, I, I'll I'll put one up on the uh, the feeds later so people can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't she wasn't a fan. Not nice, she said. Oh. So uh, <laughs> it was a really nice uh, little like it was like a hoodie with a skirt. So it was like a pink knitted sweater that had strawberries on it, and it mm-hmm. had kind of like uh, like a frill in the back. It was awesome, and uh, I thought she'd you know, be grateful of me trying to look out for her well-being and warmth, but mm-hmm. not not so. Was this sweater so, for uh, Winnie? Uh, it is. She. Uh, yeah. So we have a medium hair and a short hair, and uh, the other day we noticed when it got really cold out, she was, like, trying to get under the covers with us, uh, which, which is fine. Like, we let her do that, but what about the rest of the time when we're not in bed, the other two hours out of the day? Um, we got to help her out somehow. So that's why I got her this sweater, but, mm-hmm. I mean... I didn't really think it was going to work. You can't really do stuff like that with cats, but Mm -hmm. she's pretty, like, cool about things. She doesn't really fuss ever, so I thought it might fly. Um, No. Just just another notch on the the failure tree there for me. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Did you get your cat a sweater? No. um, My cat's kind of between the medium and long hair range. Um, I think uh, old Warlock has a little bit of Maine Coon in him somewhere along Ooh. the line. So, I mean, he's all, like, set up to like, kind of traverse, like, winter landscapes because he's got those big furry little paws. And uh, so, yeah, he's pretty good. Um, he uh, gave Chanel and I quite the present today, though. Um, we came home, and uh, the problem with the place that we're renting the last few years is that our it has like, kind of like a front atrium at, mm-hmm. that is, like, really poorly insulated. But, like, the only thing that, like, kind of protects us is there's an interior door that locks um, when mm-hmm. we're inside and so we always try to make sure that's closed when we leave but Warlock took it upon himself to open that door so he could look out the front mm. window and so we came home and it is currently like mm, it was like 50 degrees Fahrenheit uh, according to don't our speak s- in Fahrenheit in, in our, Celsius I don't know what it is often that's what our machine tells us in, it, 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 it talks in Fahrenheit so that'll be helpful to our American listeners um, that but doesn't help it, me in any way it, it translates to very cold uh, well apparently that is 10 degrees Celsius uh, to which I say buck up buddy yeah uh, 10 degrees is nothing it is when it's in your house and uh, and, and to- this is where we record my podcast side here so a couple, a couple of years ago our furnace kicked uh kicked out completely it would only turn on between 1 a.m to 5 a.m and it would be running the entire time so 
uh, from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., we, we would get completely roasted, and the rest of the day we were absolutely frozen because the furnace wasn't on. Oh, my God. And you know what our prep property managers did? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Home time realty. That's what, Give them a call. That's what, that's what property managers do. They do, yeah. they do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's yeah, what they exactly. do best. They, but they, collect their, they do collect your money. Absolutely. They, 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 that's the expectation. But beyond that, mm-hmm. eh, no, it's yeah. And, yeah, and it's like cause there's this like uh, old like uh, space heater that's in the atrium room I was mentioning. But like mm-hmm. to turn that on, it is like such a power drain. Like our like yeah. landlord called like after like the first year we were in here because we had left it on like basically nonstop yeah. for a month because it was super cold uh, that particular mm-hmm. December. She was like, I don't know what you guys are doing, implying that we were like, uh, I don't know having a grow up or something going on. Right. Um, and she's like, mm-hmm. like, the electrical bill just had like skyrocketed. And it's like, I don't, we haven't done anything differently. But then I'm like, well, the space heater's on and we turned it off and it went yeah. right down. So, um, so that stinks. Um, yeah. So unless we want to get yelled well, at by our uh, crappy landlord, um, they, I guess winter, wait, what does he expect? Well, uh, she, I guess, expects us to freeze to death and still get those checks on the, onto well, maybe, her. Maybe you should oblige uh, by getting those her. checks onto her, <laughs> I die. Yeah. Oh, die! I could die. Yeah, I guess. Hey, well, I have a question for you. Yeah. What kind of door is this that uh, your cat was able to open? It does it have like a a hook handle or something? No, like a le- lever or that it, he could jump on or what? No, he's you got a ball knob. No, unless we actually lock it, like and we it only locks from the inside with the deadbolt. Mm-hmm. We don't have a key for this thing. Um, sure. it's uh, he can just like open it with his little paw. He just gets his paw mm-hmm. like on there and he swings it open. He does it all the time. He's been doing that for years. Um, yes. But the last couple of years since we've had him, we've had very mild winters. So it has never really been too much of an issue. But yep. uh, going, like, like you mentioned, uh, from minus five to minus 20, like in, in the night. course of like a like, yeah, 12 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is quite the shock to the system. And uh, we're, I'm remembering how cold it can get in this house if that door is uh, ever open. And Warlock has a permanent little fur coat on and uh, it doesn't give mm-hmm. a damn. No shits. Well, maybe you need to get on his level. Yeah, maybe. Or get a new house or something, buddy. Yeah, Yeah, working on it, working on it. Anyway. some green beans. Hey, how about that weather? (laughs) How about that weather, folks? Hey, you know what? What? We have a reader email. Are you kidding me? Guess Uh, what? What? I also have some feedback, but I'll let you go first. Oh, well, this is an email from a new voice in the what? the, the creep verse i guess a new um, friend of the show a, a new creeper mm-hmm. um it begins hey creeps i've been pretty content just to uh, or to just counter creep upon you guys and enjoy your podcast mm-hmm. from a safe distance but i feel like crawling out of the woodwork for a quick spell after hearing mm-hmm. Jarrett talk so often about his Jess Franco incest lesbian vampire films, I can't mm-hmm. help but notice mm-hmm. that there's a whole world of erotic vampire flicks out there. I came across this one today, and something told me this is up Jarrett's alley. Mysterious mm-hmm. emails, strip clubs, dead wives, undead lap dances, intriguing enough. Uh, uh, this fellow by the name of uh, Frank Truman sent mm-hmm. uh, us a link here uh, to IMDb to a mm-hmm. film called Nightshade from 1996. It has a very provocative cover of a woman uh, mounting a man. Uh, and then mm. in the background, there's a uh, maybe perhaps the same woman with vampire teeth and yellow eyes. It looks very classy. 
Um, mm. in the, the synopsis That's one goes, word. yeah, it's synopsis reads a disillusioned widower begins getting weird e- mess- email messages and duly heads to a strip club. Unfortunately, yeah. once there, he sees his supposedly dead wife lap dancing. Even more unfortunately, she also happens to be a vampire. Um, hmm. Yeah, so uh, the email continues. Would you say that once you've taken the Franco plunge, you've got to start, or you've got to start going deeper into seedier territory to get your kicks? And is it even worth starting down that road? Creep up the good work, guys. Your fan, mm. Frank. Well, thank you, Frank, uh, mm. for bringing this film to our attention. Uh, the first thing I noticed uh, clicking on this here link was that it's from uh, director Fred Olin Ray, who I kind of only really know from one film of his that I've watched. Uh, he's kind of a Jess Franco type of guy. He has 148 film credits to his name. Holy pits. Yep. So, I mean, he's kind of right in between there, between Jean-Luc Godard and Jess Franco as far as film count. Yeah. I didn't even mm-hmm. mention that last week, the number of goddamn movies that Jess, or, uh, that uh, Godard made it's cr- mm-hmm. insane and uh well, yeah it'll look like nothing once i get through damn right uh so yeah uh the first film of his that i've seen and the only film i've seen of old fred olin is uh scalps which is like mm-hmm. a uh it's like a red exploitation film it's about like just kids that go camping in like i don't know uh, a park somewhere and there's like evil indian spirits there mm-hmm. killing people Possessing people, something like that. Yeah, sure, uh, why not? Kind of a piece of crap, as far as I remember. Uh, it seems like it's got some cred with people online that enjoy badly made slasher stuff. Right. Um, and he's like got other sweet titles like The Alien Dead and Prison Ship, The Tomb, Cyclone, uh, Holly- mm. oh, and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Uh, I've mm-hmm. definitely heard of that one. Uh, Alienator, Beverly Ooh. Hills Vamp, Bad Girls from Mars, Wizards of the Demon Sword. Uh, hmm. Evil Tunes, uh, and it goes on and on. Oh, Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, lots of str- video fodder uh, right there. Um, and then also uh, his co-writer or his writer, Sean O'Bannon, uh, he also seems oh. like a pretty classy guy as well with such films as Masseuse 3, Hybrid, Thy Neighbor's mm-hmm. Wife, uh, Air Rage, um, mm, mm, <laughs> the Escort Three, Invisible Mom Two, The Kid with geez. X-ray Eyes. Um, a lot of sequels in there. Yeah, to movies that I don't even know if they exist. Like they're just movies, maybe that just. Apparently, there's three of those. Uh, yeah. Kid with Laser Eyes movies. Yeah. Oh, there's a, there is a Masseuse Two, um, the the Escort, Rapid Assault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see what Rapid Assault's all about. Uh, a terrorist creates a biological weapon in an abandoned undersea lab. A government operative is dispatched to confiscate the weapon and eliminate the terrorist. This lone SEAL must... See full summary. This lone Navy SEAL must undertake a dangerous underwater mission to stop a madman from unleashing a deadly toxin that could destroy the world. Isn't that the plot of Dr. No? Uh, that's neither here nor there, RJ. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, it's good to get some feedback in here from uh, old Frankie. Yeah. Uh, but um, it kind of makes me a little sad because you did it. You finally did it. You talked about all these gross-ass films so much <laughs> that you got someone out there who's also interested in de- just getting into the grime. Mm. And uh, now I feel bad uh, for mm. you, uh, for him, and for myself because I can't avoid it. 
because uh, you find me even when I try to leave. But uh, now, now we have other people um, also putting their influence down on me. So um, I don't know. I probably won't watch any of that guy's movies. But the alien ones sound cool, mm-hmm. and those fantasy ones sound cool as well. So I'll let you give it a watch, and you can uh, tell me if they're RJ picks or not. Well, I, I always have been the trailblazer in our uh, duo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. So hey, I got some uh, some listener feedback. To, this week as well. Okay. Via the Twitter, Whoa. the internet. Uh, Dr. Robin Keeley uh, from Ottawa, Canada, via Baltimore, Maryland, USA, uh, says, I'm a creep for the creeps. That's it. Sweet. So that's uh, some uh, some good feedback there. That's good, clean, family-friendly uh, <laughs> uh, feedback. Not uh, this stuff about uh, sex vampires and whatever else you're into so <laughs> undead um, lap dances yeah sure so uh people are listening man they're out other there. people out there who might be lingering like this uh franklin fellow mm-hmm. you you give us a call you you tell me i want to hear if other people out there are also uncomfortable like me when listening to you talk about stuff or <laughs> or if they're uh they're on your side uh-huh speaking of yep. things that i've been watching um before I launch into that, did you manage to creep on anything this week, RJ? I did two mild creeps for you. Okay. Two mild it. creeps. So as we were doing a British gangster movie, uh, I uh, went to a movie I've never seen from the year 2000, 1000, 1000 from uh, Jonathan Glazer. Mm. Glazer, who did uh, that Under the Skin mm. movie everyone's a fan of. Yep. Uh, called Sexy Beast. Yes. Uh, uh, I had never seen this movie. Uh, but I knew that Ray Weinstone was in it as typical uh, British man uh, in movies because that's kind of what he is with two other typical British cast men, Ben Kingsley and Ian McShane. So you got three for your money here on uh, people. When you need a British guy, you get one of these bad boys. That's right. Um, have you seen Sexy Beast? Yeah, I have. So Sexy Beast was like Ray Weinstone. He was an old mobster and he wanted to get out. So he's living in Spain but then Ben Kingsley comes and tries to pull him back in for one last job. Uh, I thought this movie was pretty good. Um, I think it's got probably the best intro to any movie ever, where it's just Ray Weinstone uh, tanning, oh, and he's talking yeah. about how oh, scorching. Mm. I'm, mm, <laughs> I'm roasting. And it's got, the, it's got the best, like, when the title comes up, it's like Sexy Beast. You just see his gut kind of popped over his Speedo and stuff. Oh. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, he's got a nice um, hand hide in that film. Fucking right. Uh, and his hair's so like blonde or blonde from the sun. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have anything to say about this movie. I thought it was pretty good. And then I, uh, I, I just remember, um, yeah, there's Ben Kingsley just doing doing shtick or not not shtick, but just shouting. Lots of shouting and angry yeah. and stomping around and being menacing like you do in British gangster movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, there, and there's like short, abrupt sentences. And there's the uh, Donnie Darko esque rabbit beast. Uh, yeah, there, there's that in there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. There's also uh, an orgy scene, which I guess is your kind of thing. So you see uh, Big Ian McShane uh, take part in some orgies. So yeah. it's got that going for it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was good. I don't think it's got like pretty decent ratings on uh, the old Letterboxd here, but I think I was like a three and a half. I think it's fair. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, it, it, like people love that movie a lot when it came out. Um, yeah. 
but we'll talk about British gangster movies, I think, later on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, to me, it's like, I always thought the movie was, like, okay. It's got some, like, good stuff. I get that Ben Kingsley's very uh, amusing in it, and it's kind of a goofy little movie at times, and uh, Ray Winstone, um, yeah, he's good. And like you said, that opening scene is very nice indeed. Yeah, It's the best, yeah. And then, uh, so then, I watched something uh, that will go with some news things later. Uh, I watched a movie called Mission impossible Coleman slash rogue nation mm-hmm. from uh, last year starring your buddy Tom Cruise starring your personal friend Jeremy Renner <laughs> and starring uh, everybody's friend Vin Rames. Uh, so I watched this uh, I had been wanting to watch it for a while uh, I do like Tom Cruise I don't know if I've ever said that I know he's like a weirdo but whatever I don't I don't care um, the reason I watched this was because it was directed by Christopher McQuarrie, uh, who did this movie, Jack Reacher, and he's going to direct the next Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. But he wrote the script for next year's Tom Cruise movie, The Mummy. Oh, so he I did. Was interested. Of course he did. Of course he yeah. did. So there, him and Tom Cruise are like big buddies now. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember when this came out, it was like 95% uh, like on rotten tomatoes and like 90 percent on metacritic and i was like man seems like a good movie and it's got a huge rating on uh letterboxd as well um uh full disclosure i watched this in two segments over two days that were not uh sequential days so i watched half of it and then like two days later i watched the other half of it okay so it was a very um disjointed viewing and i think that affected it a little bit i thought it was fine um i'm not it like i don't know I, again this was another three and a half for me like i like the action was cool um i like tom cruise but i don't understand how this is like five stars four and a half stars from everybody on letterbox it doesn't make sense um so it's a typical mission impossible movie uh it's really cheesy it's got really cheesy fucking dialogue uh like there's one scene where jeremy renner is like talking to Alec Baldwin and he's like, this is what we got to do. And he's like, okay. And then it cuts to them at the scene where they have to do it. And then Alec Baldwin literally repeats what Jeremy Renner said in like exposition. He's like, so we're here about to try to steal the British prime minister. Do you really think this is going to work? And it's like really like, it's like super cheesy, but I guess people really like that, that it's like cartoonish comic booky dialogue. Mm. Um, like I didn't hate it. I just I don't I didn't think it was as charming as it seems to be. Um Tom Cruise is cool. He wears a really fun Hawaiian shirt in a motorcycle uh race or like a I can't remember of what that's called. Of course there's a, a motorcycle scene. race. <laughs> uh, a chase a chase scene uh and he's got like a cool shirt on. Um your buddy Jeremy Renner is like just there. He doesn't add anything <laughs> to this movie. Uh, so he he brings the Jeremy Renner quality. Like that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> He does. Uh, Tom Cruise is good, as always. Uh, oh, I was just, Jay, like, yeah, Tom Cruise, he makes acting look so easy. He's so... Fucking right, he does. Yeah, he is uh, He's greatly um, underestimated for how good he is. Um, that, that being said, I mean, I can understand why people aren't probably Tom Cruise fans. Uh, yeah. he, he's, like, really responsible for that. But mm. uh, over the last few years, I, I went on a, uh, uh, what could be called a booze cruise, and I tagged these mm. films on Letterboxd as such, of the uh, Tom Cruise movies that I was watching and re-watching, because there's a bunch of his stuff uh, that I'd never seen before. And, right. uh, yeah, I was just, like, wa- watching Tom Cruise movies, and I was always like, man, this guy's so talented. Like, he's just such a great, yeah, great is. actor. But uh, continue. Mm. 
Uh, I, I'll just um, I'll reiterate onto that for or not reiterate. Uh, I'll, I'll back you up there for a second. Yo. Um, I, I don't like when people rag on Tom Cruise because of like who he is too. like, yeah, I know he's kind of crazy, but that doesn't come through in his acting at all. And the reason I bring it up is because uh, of Mel Gibson as well, because I don't mm. know if I've ever like actually said about Mel Gibson. Like, I know he he did some bad stuff, but I feel like he got a raw deal because there's way worse actors out there. Like Matthew Broderick killed a bunch of people. <laughs> Fucking Alec Baldwin, like. Yeah, uh, did remember when he like was like screaming at his daughter and it was like everyone was like, oh man, does he beat up his daughter and stuff like that? Mm. But like those guys get a pass for some reason. So I don't. Yeah, I, there's. I, I'm yeah. not saying I condone what either of them do. I just feel like it's bad that they get singled out when there's way worse guys out there that get passes. Fair enough. Okay. Anyways, anyway. I just want to get that out there yeah. so people know that I'm not a monster who endorses anti-Semitism or Scientology. <laughs> so Tom Cruise is good. Uh, the lady who is in this Rebecca Ferguson she was really good and I think she's going to be like a staple now as like his co-agent or like the the other agent who's like always kind of like on is she on his side is she not on his side who knows uh, so she was really good and then I gotta I'm gonna make a, something here I'm gonna say something that might not be well received I think I'm done with Simon Pegg that's I'm over him. Good. I, I don't like him in like I, I like him in those Edgar Wright movies, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. I think those two are really good. Um but lately all he does is annoy me. Uh he's in really bad romantic comedy movies that go straight to Netflix. And like I've caught a couple of them when Andrea was watching them, and he, even Andrea, like, she's just like, Oh man, these movies are rough. Like there's one <laughs> There's one that he's in called uh, Hector and the Pursuit of Happiness. That's one of the worst fucking movies I've ever seen. It's like it's like he, they're trying to do like a Forrest Gump thing where it's like this guy lives like he's looking for happiness. He doesn't know what it is to be happy. So he's like traveling the world. And then at the end, he realizes that happiness is like his memories and being himself. And they have a scene where they look at where happiness is in the brain with like a scan. It's just the fucking worst so anyways, he's in all these bad romantic comedies and then he's in movies like this and like the Star Treks and uh, just like J.J. Abram movies where he plays like quirky, kind of clever, whip, uh, whippy sidekick thing. And I, I don't like it anymore. He's just really fucking annoying. <laughs> I don't know, man. Is it just me? Do you feel the same way about him? Mm, I I don't know. I find that his, uh, I mean, he really capitalized on his uh, uh, nerd like following yeah uh because he was like in that show spaced years ago and then then yeah. like then the uh, the edgar wright films actually started coming out and i mean they kind of became this like figure um and then uh-huh. ever since then though i mean i don't know i mean he's not a draw for me he started he's, he wound up in the mission impossible movies and now he's stuck like everyone does they stick out those movies and they keep showing up um mm-hmm. and then he's like then he was in star trek I just mm-hmm. like I don't know I don't have much of an issue with them, but I mean I remember like uh, kind of rolling my eyes at like when that Star Trek Beyond trailer came out with the uh, yep. Beastie Boys stuff going on and him like defending mm-hmm. it saying it's a really misleading trailer and stuff like that. Um, I had kind of like given up on the Star Trek movies after Into Darkness, which I thought was terrible. Um, yep. But yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I have no opinion of him really. I, I he's he's no Jeremy Renner. We'll just say. Well, whenever you do watch Star Trek Beyond, uh, he wrote that fucker. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty much, I think he plays a pretty big role in it. So I'm sure you might, since you don't like those movies already, if it's just one of those movies focusing on Scotty, mm-hmm. I'm sure. 
Uh, oh. That doesn't sound good to me. I don't know. Just to clarify for people, uh, the reason why I don't like the uh, Abrams Star Trek movies, it comes down to the fact that I believe Star Trek should be about uh, middle-aged pudgy people going around mm-hmm. in starships, not hot young people. Uh, that's basically all it boils down to. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. No. But uh, how about those abs, though, in those movies? <sighs> it's just not – it doesn't belong in Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, uh, Mission Impossible, what is that, five? Rogue Nation, whatever number that yeah, is. Yeah, five. Um, yeah. I thought it was pretty good. The action was good, but uh, it's not the best thing I've ever seen, so I don't know why everyone's sure. so hot on it. Yeah. I don't know. These movies That's all, it. They all blur for me. Um, yep. I, I think, did I, did I see Ghost Protocol? <laughs> I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I saw Ghost Protocol. Oh, I thought that one was pretty good. Okay, yeah. So you, so you saw Rogue Nation. That's five. Okay. Yeah. There's a really funny line in Ghost Protocol where he's driving in the desert, and then there's camels, and he swerves, and then uh, he's driving, and he looks at Jeremy Renner, and he's just like, camels. Yep. It's the uh, best part of that movie. Oh, yeah. You know what? I started watching this movie on Netflix, and then I oh, stopped yeah. because uh-huh. I thought the movie was really boring, and I didn't care about anything that was going on. Uh, and that was about it. That was the end of my experience with that film. Remember, though, Tom Cruise got pneumonia for uh, actually hanging on to the side of that plane when it took off in the intro? Uh, oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> he act, he actually fucking did that stunt. And he got pneumonia because he was like, uh, I don't know, several hundred feet up in the air in fucking freezing weather going like, I don't know, how fast does a plane go? Like fast. 100 miles an hour? <laughs> fast. Yeah, so fast. So, yeah, he got, like, pneumonia from that and, like, broken ribs or something because he was on the outside of the plane as it was up in the air. Well, now Tom Cruise and I have another thing in common. Scientology? Pneumonia. (laughs) Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, that's all I watched, man. Sweet. Um, Well, I, after talking about Alphaville, I went on to watch a couple more Godard movies. Um, I've started off. Yeah. I just can't get enough of that French man. Um, and, and weirdly enough, it was his birthday, like a couple days after we recorded, which I had no idea. So happy belated birthday, Jean-Luc. I planned all that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. It's all just, it falls together sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. so I watched, uh, cause our, uh, university library actually has some criterions on hand, uh, which will come in handy in the next few weeks as we start getting into movies that I've never seen and I don't have copies of. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched, uh, uh, two or three things, uh, I know about her, uh, Mm -hmm. which I think is an amazing movie like i couldn't even begin to tell you what the plot of the movie is because i don't think godard gave a crap about what the plot was it's just mm-hmm. like it's like very much like an abstracted art house movie uh in mm-hmm. all like the ways that i usually hate that drive me crazy um uh my background i don't know if i've ever mentioned this was art history and particular like a lot of like uh film history and like art film history and i don't know somewhere along the line i've lost a taste for that stuff and a lot Mm -hmm. of it i just kind of stare at and just like think about what i could be doing instead but this film is kind of in that in that grouping but i love this movie i like i loved it Hmm. i don't think it's for everybody at all like i think i could definitely see somebody being like this is so boring what is this thing about but it's just beautiful um this film just like like I said, I couldn't even tell you what the story is. It's just like following this woman, like in her like day to day life, and like she might be having an affair, like having relationships, going around shopping and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just like I don't know, great image after great image. Um, 
I just like loved looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I liked it a lot. If you like Godard, you should totally watch it. Um, and then I also watched his more conventional film, uh, Perrault de Fou, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of a story of a man and his lover on the run from the police after they've killed the woman's husband. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just like told like so loose and kind of like not the way that that story sounds like it would play out, uh, which is right. completely intentional. But once again, uh, and both films were, uh, with his cinematographer, uh, the Raul uh, Cotard guy. And, and these, both these films are in color and like, they just look so good. And um, mm-hmm. like they're full, like they're uh, that widescreen, like that 235 widescreen. So the composition opens right up from like watching something like um, Breathless. Um, and even mm-hmm. Alphaville, I don't think is, or is it wide? I guess it's widescreen too. But I don't know. For me, there's something about his color in his movies that like yeah. really like set them apart, and like they start making me think of like uh, Wes Anderson's use of color, and then like Ingmar Bergman's use of those reds and stuff like that. Like in mm-hmm. his stuff, like Fanny and Alexander or uh, Cries and Whispers. Yeah. Um, are uh, either of those cri- future Criterions? They are both Criterions, but they're like. Okay like 421 and 486 so they're a ways away so one day we will get to get watch those once more which i'm excited about um but you get to wait i guess if you want we'll be long dead before we get there yeah everything will be dead by then yep yep um so you know i I thought i would like drag down my uh, viewing taste a little bit and Mm -hmm. watch a couple of shitima uh films so no I, i watched a little film called shotgun from 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a film from a company called PM Entertainment, which was kind of like an upstart company that came about in 1989. Uh, and their whole thing was just making like essentially shot or straight to video action movies for like the mm-hmm. uh, video store market. And they made like, I don't know, like about 95 movies before it, that business wasn't viable anymore. But right. and Shotgun's like one of their early films. And Man, I cannot believe how super entertaining this thing is. Um, Are you just fucking with me? No. Like, uh, this is on YouTube and uh, over on Letterboxd. I uh, threw a link to it on YouTube so you can watch it yourself. It's like an hour and a half. But it's like, there's it's it's definitely in the uh, uh, So Bad It's Good camp. Uh, but sometimes I read that and then I watch those movies and I find them not very good at all. Like, they just don't have enough going on to, like, justify their being badly made movies but this movie right. like generally is like pretty well non-stop stuff happening something always to laugh at or smile at mm. mock there's always something happening scene to scene um for being an hour and a half movie this thing blew by i like was kind of actually not even aware like, this is like the strangest thing i never expect this with a movie like shotgun but it's like oh it's already over and it felt like the perfect length of time i never like oh what time is it oh it's been a half hour and i mean yeah. i feel that watching godard movies um, and like where I am like, Oh, let's see it. Cause like usually be like, Oh, what time is it? Oh yeah. It's about an hour, about halfway through. I guess there's a little bit longer shotgun didn't happen somehow. So that's a hmm. credit to it. But, um, yeah, this, this movie's about, um, a, like, I mean, there's like a Donald Trump looking man who is hiring prostitutes for his employer. Who's like a hotshot British lawyer in Los Angeles. Um, and he, and he takes these prostitutes to to this hotel where he like, there's like the whole pretext of him. Like he's going to pay them to have sex with him. But then he leaves the, leaves this apartment or this little, uh, 
uh, hotel room, motel room. And then his boss comes out dressed in leather daddy outfit, like full black leather mask, leather whip, gimp outfit. And he proceeds just to like to beat the shit out of these women. Oh. And so that's like kind of like he's the villain of the story, if that wasn't mm-hmm. clear. Uh, so the main story is following the adventures of, oh, I think the guy's name's Josh. <laughs> and that's a horrible name and for he, a character. And he, like, he just looks so like super Scandinavian. He's this tall, mm. skinny man with like light red, kind of blondish hair. And he's got this big, thick beard. He wears like one of those big, stupid Durango hats and like trench coats and stuff. And him and his, mm-hmm. uh, his black partner, they're kind of, they're trying to do a lethal weapon thing where they're like the cops on the edge and they play by their own rules. And, um, it turns out the, uh, Scandinavian man, his, uh, his sister is also happens to be a prostitute and she winds up getting killed by the, the, the Kinko as they call him, the leather daddy guy. Um, Mm -hmm. and so he's like now on the, the the cops now on the rampage trying to find this guy. Um, there's like a subplot involving like a fortress in Mexico where they're taking over a town for their drug business. And these cops have to go down there and shoot people up and just, Ah, it's got everything, RJ. <laughs> um, it sounds like a Frank movie. Uh, yeah, it definitely probably is a Frank movie. Uh, so Frank, check out Shotgun if you haven't already. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. This may be a movie for shit bad movies. I thought it was really good. And I've watched a lot of mm-hmm. shitty movies, RJ. Um, yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, the flip side to Shotgun, however, though, is I also watched a film called Nine Deaths of the Ninja. Um, mm-hmm. which might have killed off my wanting to watch any more ninja movies for a while. Um, this how come? Well, this movie just kind of sucked. It I didn't realize what it was until it started going. But it turned out that uh, like one of the things in the eighties that happened a lot in movies, it seemed, was like these film companies are like, Hey, we're going to do like a James Bond idea. Like we're going to do something about like a spy or super agent. And he gets to go and like, they just like, but it's going to be a franchise. They're always, their hope is that we'll make with the first movie. And if it's popular enough, we can start doing a franchise. Um, there's examples of it. There's like the one, like John Stamos movie, never too young to die. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, there's just a bunch. And like, so this one though, this one decides like, Hey, we're going to do a movie about a super spy ninja. And it's played by a show Kasuji who plays uh, ninjas in several movies. Like, Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja, Ninja 3. Uh, this actor also showed up, I believe, in Godfather Part 2. Um, I, I don't think as a ninja. Um, I, it's been a while since I've watched it. I don't recall ninjas. But uh, so mm-hmm. Nine Deaths of the Ninja, it's a comedy. It's like kind of like a spoof almost, but it's like shot in film completely straight and nothing works at all. Uh, it opens mm-hmm. up with like a dance number involving like three uh, Asian women like in aerobics gear and like Shokusuji without a shirt with his sword. And he's doing like dance thrusts with these women and it's like choreographed and, and it's supposed to be like James Bond like because the music's like that bombastic uh, female vocalist singing mm-hmm. about ninjas or whatever the hell it was. And then uh, I couldn't even tell what the plot is anymore. It's set in the Philippines and there is a kind of Dr. Strangelove villain. Like it's totally Dr. Strangelove, man in a wheelchair with gloves, German. And he's like a terrorist and he takes uh, a busload of 
Filipino people and tourists hostage so they can free his Arab terrorist friend that's been locked up unjustly, but he's not been unjustly locked up. And I don't know, this movie uh, stunk. It just makes no sense. Um, it's got a wicked cover, though. Like the, the VHS cover mm-hmm. for this is bright red, plus those nice, lovely fonts. Uh, it looked cool, and I'm like, that's a great title, Nine Deaths of the Ninja. But at no point does there other nine deaths of any ninja um yeah i think the the ninja train's gone off the rails for me uh well i'm pretty happy about that yeah uh frankly i wish it happened sooner but uh you know whatever <laughs> whatever um whatever uh you'll you'll learn your lesson one day yeah <laughs> and then you'll only watch quality movies like i watch like like neither of us can even say one example so there no. you go <laughs> yeah good um, stuff yep my capper for films that I watched was actually mm-hmm. a new movie, a documentary called De Palma. Jefftown? Uh, nope. Not Jeff. <laughs> and uh, so De Palma is a documentary directed by Noah Baumbach mm-hmm. uh, about director Brian De Palma. And it's basically just a talking head uh thing with Brian De Palma going through his films in chronological order from the very, very beginning all sure. the way to uh, his last film of which was passion. Um, yeah. And I, I like this a lot. Uh, I'm a big fan of that Brian De Palma. Most of the time he makes some crap, but he also has made some real great films. Um, so he's always mm-hmm. kind of worth checking out. And so, yeah, I mean, this movie just like really fired me up wanting to watch more Brian De Palma movies again. Cause it's been a while since I watched a, a whole bunch of his really good movies. Um, and a lot of that stuff has actually uh, been released by Criterion at this point. So, I mean, we'll be talking about him on the show at some point, but I mean, I'll probably mm-hmm. try checking him out before then. So RJ, I, my question to you is, uh, have, have you watched any Brian De Palma movies? Are you familiar with his output? Uh, I've seen a few, um, I honestly, I can't remember which ones I've seen. He did Carrie, right? Yep. I've seen Carrie. I've seen Sisters. Yep. Uh, I think there's a couple more. I've seen a couple, but not... Snake Eyes. I, I, Snake Eyes, that's true. Yep. Uh, I haven't seen Blowout, and I haven't seen Dress to Kill. So mm. I, I've i seen a couple, but I don't think I've seen uh, the big the big daddies, as uh, you like to call them. Mission to Mars. Uh, nope. Uh, okay. I've seen Scarface, Mission Impossible, Carrie, Untouchables. Mission Impossible 1? Uh, no, uh, the Mission Impossible 12. It's not filmed yet, but, uh, mm-hmm. I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Snake Eyes and Sisters, Black Dahlia. Ooh. That's it. That's it. That's not bad. Yeah. I no. haven't seen Blown Out, or Blow, Blown Out, Blow Out, Body Devil, or, uh, what's that other big one he's known for? Dress to Kill. Just to kill. Yeah. Did you watch mm-hmm. um, uh, Carlito's Way? Nope. I've never seen that. Oh, that's a good one for gangster mm-hmm. movies. Gangsters? Well, I missed it, so I guess we'll have to wait until the next until the next one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah. So Brian De Palma, De Palma documentary, uh, really good. I don't know how much anyone would enjoy it if you haven't watched a De Palma film. Uh, the one thing I love about this documentary, though, is that when I've watched a lot of kind of making of behind the scenes sort of like documentaries like this, uh, they always have like really lousy quality footage of their movies kind of like kind of cut in. Right. But this one's kind of like... Uh, using the best quality of any of these films available to illustrate their points when they're talking, which is such mm-hmm. a, like, I don't know. I love that. Cause I don't know. I, I'm just like, yeah, when I've watched some behind the scenes stuff, it's always like, 
these huge drops, like VHS quality, like uh, footage, and it just like mm-hmm. oh, it just kills it. Like it makes the films look so shitty. But in this, at least, uh, they're using good quality footage, and it's like it really pops. So I mean, that's also I guess Noah Baumbach's one of uh, Criterion's boys. So when it comes to getting that nice crisp Blu-ray quality, they they're getting that. So that's a mm-hmm. nice thing. Um, I'm not sure how like like how they clear rights and stuff like that for that anymore. It seemed like Room 237 really opened that up though, because like the I mean, like Warner Brothers would have had to sign off on that. I'm not sure if some like weird, like copyright law changed in the United States where documentaries can be made like this, and it's a lot easier and not as expensive to do them like that. But I'm glad. You should, you should just try and make a documentary on something. See if you get sued. <laughs> That's a great idea. Um, yeah. Yeah, because there was actually there's this really great documentary out there called uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself, um, mm-hmm. and it's like kind of like one of the first examples of one of these like uh, fil- like it's a documentary that's just like talking about all these movies that were shot in Los Angeles, and it's all what it is. It's all going to be found footage of films, like and that's it's all footage from those. And uh, for years and years and years, it was like made by like a, a professor at like UCLA. Uh, I think it was, sure. and and he made it. And he just made it for his class, but it became like so like uh, talked about that like it could never get released because of all these films from every studio all over. But now, but it came out on Blu-ray like a few years ago, and it's like so something must have changed about how you can reproduce things if it's in a certain context. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a great time to be alive. Sometimes if uh, you're in, if you're into documentaries and film history, I'd argue that. But I mean, whatever. <laughs> Right. Am I right? Right. Anyway. Sorry, that's yep. That's well, the, that's what I've crapped. Sounds cool. cool. I'd probably watch that document, that doco. Mm-hmm. Not the ninja ones though. No. That's uh, no. The, that, that one ninja one. But you watch Shotgun. I, oh, I thought Shotgun was a ninja movie. Oh no, there's no there, there's no ninjas in that. Uh well, it doesn't really matter, I guess. No. I'm never gonna watch either of them. <laughs> so. Yep. Woo. Woo. Yeah. So, what news bring to you us? us? Bring to you us news. Uh, hey, did you see that trailer for the new Mummy movie? Uh, I watched the teaser. The teaser? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize this movie was about Katie Holmes. Oh, Jarrett. Oh man, it's all there. Uh, well, I was gonna bring it up because that's why I watched that Mission Impossible movie was because that Christopher McQuarrie guy wrote the script for this. Yeah. Uh, but he also uh, had a, a double writer, a guy named John Spates. Well, yep. I looked it up. He wrote Prometheus. He wrote Doctor Strange. And he wrote that Passengers movie with Chris Pat, uh, Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, which looks like a huge just pile of shit. And apparently he has a writing credit on Pacific Rim 2. And uh, I just looked, and this is crazy. Pacific Rim 2 has eight writers. Wow. That can't, that can't be right, right? Uh, that's studio filmmaking, my friend. Well... That's weird. Anyways, I saw that trailer for that Mummy movie. Uh, that guy, Alex Kurtzman, directed this. He's never directed anything before. He did a rom-com, but he's usually just a producer. That's kind of weird that they would get this guy who's like never directed to do the first of this big film franchise that they're trying to do. It's just like Pacific Rim 2 with that Stephen DeKnight dude. He's never directed like a feature film. He's a TV guy. Uh, so what are they doing? Like, uh, um, well, it's like we've reverted. It's now like the 1930s and 40s where like directors are kind of just told what to do by the producers. Right. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's basically where we're at. I think with these type of movies, they just can't trust the visions of these directors yeah. that think have ideas. And they're like, this is what you're going to make. You're going to make a product, which is I guess more honest. Than, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, whatever. 
Well, I bring it up because I think it's big news that this movie's coming out. Uh, because I like the Universal Monsters. I think it's cool. Uh, and with this movie, uh, when th- with the trailer coming out, they have said that because Dracula Untold was such a huge bomb, it is no longer the first movie in this new series of franchises. So they're just dropping it because nobody gives a fuck about Luke Evans because he's a big piece of shit actor. Um, that's my... Uh, I, I can talk about him at a different day, but I thought that was good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I watched the trailer, and then I watched that little featurette Uh, that Tom Cruise put out there. So like in the trailer, they have that whole big plane scene and apparently Tom Cruise made them do that in an actual like zero G plane because uh, just, I guess just like in rogue nation where he was like on the outside of the plane, like he's like, no, we're doing these things for fucking real. So I have a feeling that Tom Cruise was really the director of this movie. Um, Yeah. So I think he looks cool in it. Um, I think a lot of the movie looks kind of stinky. But uh, <laughs> Russell Crowe is in it, which I think is fucking yeah. awesome. Uh, and there's a scene uh, in the featurette where Tom Cruise is like, uh, me and Russell have been friends for 20 years. And uh, now we're going to have this fight scene. And it shows Russell Crowe and he's got his arms out and he's like, Bleh! and he's like rolling his eyes. It's fucking the most bizarre thing you've ever seen. Is he nice guys fat? Uh, that remains to be uh, remains to be determined. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they could film him in such a way where they might not. He might not come off as 1990s John Goodman, but um, I think, I mean, that was only a year ago. I doubt that he lost all that weight for this fucking movie. Mm. Um, There's also something really weird in the teaser where, like, the plane is crashing and Tom Cruise is, like, screaming. Did you notice that? It sounds really weird. Like, it doesn't sound like his voice. sounds like a little kid. Well, recall that I have not watched the teaser trailer. I watched the teaser of the I watched the teaser of the teaser trailer. (laughs) Oh, so you didn't actually watch the trailer? No. Oh, well, then none of this makes any sense to you. It's fun. I, I like listening to you talk about this. It's entertaining. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. Uh, people out there, will, they'll go watch the trailer, and they'll see the scene where Tom Cruise is falling in the plane, and he's screaming, and it's really weird. Like, I don't know if it's just genuine, like, terrified screams from Tom Cruise, and that's, like, <laughs> real emotion out of him, or if someone else did the screaming. It's fucking bizarre, man. Um, you know one of the so best. I, this is off topic. You know what the best yeah. movie scream is? Uh, have, you, have you seen Event Horizon? Yeah. There's yeah. like when Sam Neill does his scream yeah. when, when he finds his like yeah. wife in the shower, or whatever it was. And, oh! <laughs> that one's pretty good, but you can't forget Face Off with Nick Cage. Ah! Okay. Ah! <laughs> so all good things. It's like the Howard Dean scream. Yeah. Well. Anyways, that mummy trailer came out. Yeah, uh, I'll give it a chance because I like the Universal monsters and I like Tom Cruise, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It looks like it's gonna just be like some CGI stuff with like lots of sand from the desert. Um, I don't know. Everyone in this is talking about how scary the movie is, but I don't really, oh I don't believe God. them. I don't buy it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I never believe anyone when they say something is scary. And it's like, this is a movie involving Tom Cruise as, like, the lead actor. And it's like... Well, they're like, it's so scary. And then they show a scene where he's, like, running on rooftops being shot at by a helicopter. Oh my it's God. like, that's not a horror movie. Like, no, what is a, this? It's an action-adventure movie. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember um, uh, before, like, when they were filming this, the producer said that the, all the movies in this new franchise were going to be action-adventure movies, and then they got a bunch of flack from, like, 
the internet. So maybe they're just trying to backpedal it and they're just like, hey, like in the interviews, they're like, hey, say, talk about how this movie's scary, even though it's probably not. <sighs> so, yeah. Very bizarre. Um, that's all I really want to talk about. Uh, I Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I've got one piece of news that's actually relevant to our show. Uh, uh-huh. And it is involving uh, the weird, like, little article that popped up about Andrew Dominic uh, saying that Criterion is not interested in releasing the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, it basically, this whole thing boils down to, I guess, like someone was talking to Andrew Dominic about yeah. like, hey, Assassination of Jesse James is a really great movie. It should be available in the, through the Criterion collection. And he said, I don't think Criterion are interested in it. I don't think mm-hmm. that they feel significant enough for them, the director told Collider. There was this really lovely guy who was a film student that organized this Jesse James revival either last year or the year before. He was a film student or something. Mm-hmm. And Jesse James is his favorite movie. He basically took it upon himself to create a Jesse James revival and he set up all these screenings at various uh, Cinematech type of things. He tried to get Criterion interested and they weren't. Um, yeah, so I find that really weird because I think Assassination of Jesse James is like one of the mm-hmm. like all-time best American-made movies in a long time. Like it's totally amazing. Um, yep. It's been a little while since I watched it, um, but uh, it's got an amazing score from uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Uh, I still mm-hmm. have that uh, on my uh, rotation of like just uh, instrumental stuff I listen to. Uh, right. It's got like the last like 20 minutes of that movie or it's like some of like the best filmmaking I've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the movie is great. I mean, it's probably it's like a little slow for like your casual like Western viewer. But I mean, I don't care. <laughs> it's, I, it's I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think this, the movie's amazing. Um, and I yep. think it's like really weird. Maybe this is like all a plot. Maybe this is all a, like was to generate interest because the criterion actually are going to do this. I don't know. Um, maybe it could happen. I mean, I look at some it's of the possible. stuff that like criterion does put out when they release kind of these modern movies. And I mean, I don't know. Right. I think assassination is probably a whole lot better than like any of that stuff they've, they've put out of late. That's that are new movies. Um, but I don't know. Uh, have you mm-hmm. seen assassination of Jesse James? I have. Yeah. I think it's super, super dope. It's got uh, that sweet-ass Roger Deakins cinematography in there. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, baby. Yeah, and it's nice, good, slow westerns. It's got, my, uh, got our buddy Casey Affleck in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, the movie rules. It's been a while since I've seen it. I can't really speak to it, but uh, I liked it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm a huge sucker for uh, – third-person omniscient narration and that movie's got it and i dig it and mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i don't get it Just come on criterion put it in mm-hmm. there so we can creep on it officially yeah so that would be nice yeah but so i guess that would be in like 30 fucking years so exactly <laughs> um but, but hurry up whatever yeah yeah that's a uh, very weird uh maybe it is just a a hype generator because they will announce it so- soon or something yeah. but Oh. Uh, I, I think this guy's probably right. He's probably like, no, nah, they just didn't give a shit because they haven't even contacted us about this show yet. So clearly they don't care about mm-hmm. what really matters. They don't care. Criterion doesn't care. care. Uh, I did see that they are going to be putting out, uh, it looks like Rumblefish based on their little weird drawing. Did you see the, their weird little drawing of like fishmen wearing uh, greaser outfits, like fighting? Uh, I remember the drawing, but yeah. like is Rumblefish even good? 
Uh, I just what watched... What about The Outsiders? I, I ju- uh, both movies are not that good. Um, I just watched uh, Rumblefish actually this year um, <laughs> while I was laid up in the hospital with pneumonia, as mentioned earlier. Um, right. And I didn't think it was anything too great. Um, and yeah, and The Outsiders is also not so good because I was watching that because of Tom Cruise. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think The Outsiders is okay. Uh, I remember I read the book in like grade six. I thought it was cool. And then I watched the movie. There's a really funny scene where it's either Tom Cruise or it's Emilio Estevez. I think it's Emilio Estevez where he like takes an entire cake and then goes and sits on the floor and just starts in front of the TV and just eats the entire cake. It's, It's awesome. Oh, yeah. You come to me when you want to know what the best scene in any movie is. Mission Impossible 4, camels. Outsiders, cake. I got it all, baby. I think when you were describing that, I just remember that uh, prison movie, Brubaker, I watched with uh, Robert Redford and his big head the of cauliflower. cauliflower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Brubaker, cauliflower. Food. Food. Yeah. We got it all, man. Yeah, we need food and, mm-hmm. cam- and camels. Camels. Anyways, I think that's it. Sure. We got a review to do. Uh, no, I'm out. Okay. Well, you'll be listening to just me, I guess, after the break. We'll be talking about The Long Good Friday from 1980. Woo. Monday morning feels so bad Everybody seems to lie Me Coming Tuesday I feel better Even my old man looks good Wednesday just don't go Just any Good Friday, but the long Good Friday. Outside of church? You don't go crucifying people outside of church, not on Good Friday. Harold Shand, undisputed king of London's underworld. Now he's setting up the biggest business deal of his career. Hands across the ocean, right? To the future. Someone is out to stop him. You think of anybody who might have an old score to settle us? Who's big enough to take you on? Someone, somewhere, knows. Right? I want the man who knows. Right. Who fancies what? Harold has 24 hours to find out who's after him. Here's him the beast. Blow his head off. Auto, casino, stabbing, a bar blowing up. What is this, a gang war? No, no question. Harold and I have no doubt that by tomorrow the problem will be settled. Walk to the car, Billy, or I'll blow your spine off. It's not a shooter, is it, Harold? Oh, don't be silly, Billy. When I come hunting for you with my fingers... I've treated you lot well, even when you was out of order, right? Well, now there's been an eruption! One of my closest friends 
is lying out there in the freezer. And believe me, all of you, nobody goes home until I find out who done it. What should have been the greatest day of Harold's life suddenly becomes the longest. Violence erupts on London streets. Harold's empire begins to crumble. Suddenly, he's fighting for survival. You kill him! We got gang warner heads, right? We already have! Eric's been blown to smithereens, Colin's been carved up, and I've got a bomb in me casino, and you say nothing unusual. The Long Good Friday. A terrifying nightmare from which there is no escape. The Long Good Friday. And we're back. And we're talking about spine number 26 in our Criterion Creep, and that is The Long Good Friday, directed by John McKenzie from 1980. Harold Shand, played by Bob Hoskins, is the boss of the London underworld and is attempting to forge a partnership with the American Mafia in a bid to legitimize uh, their operation through real estate by redeveloping the London Docklands. Of course, at this very same time as the mob boss is coming to England, uh, played by the now familiar Eddie Constantine uh, in a non-dubbed form, Shand is being targeted by unknown assailants who murder his best friend Colin, attempt blowing up his mother, and literally blowing up some of his business fronts. At first, Harold tries to pretend this is all cool and conceal this series of brazen attacks against him uh, and keep those things secret so as to continue the veil of control he has in his own yard. But this all comes crumbling down when his pub is blown up right in front of everyone's eyes and he has to go take care of things himself. So when you don't know who is blowing your shit up, I guess you do what Harold does and knife up the backside of a black guy and then round up local hoods you don't care for or trust and hang them upside down on meat hooks in a meat cooler waiting for someone to come up with answers. Um, mm-hmm. Harold finds out what's going on though in the form of his dirty uh, cop friend uh, who tells him through their legit investigation that those bombs blowing up his businesses they uh, resemble the handiwork of the IRA Harry doesn't give a shit who's blowing stuff up and figures he can deal with them the same way he deals with all of his enemies um, but of course this all starts to cross over with the fact that his right hand man Jeff uh, he has kind of been the result of all these problems coming down on Harry on this particular long Good Friday weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently the whole story that we find out is that Jeff uh, has become involved with the IRA via the dirty counselor that they're dealing with, a man named Harris, who uh, they've been working with as far as like these like uh, building deals, working with the unions, um, and that's all coming down through the IRA's influence and keeping things on the up and up, keeping business running smoothly. But they're also now having to steal money and bring it to the IRA. Um, it's all very convoluted. Then, of course, uh, Jeff gets a big head and they try knocking over one of these transfers of money on the IRA where three of their men get killed. Uh, and uh, one thing has led to another. And the IRA are basically going for revenge on the fingered Harold Shand, who has had nothing to do with this. And... Uh, when he finds out that Jeff has uh, brought all this upon him, uh, he murders him with a broken bottle. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, 
Harry decides, I'm, I can deal with these IRA guys, even though every single person in the film is saying, no, you don't understand. You can't just deal with these people the way that you think. They're, they're, they're nuts. They're like, they don't, they don't think like you. They don't just think in terms of money and whatnot. But he's like, nah, nah, I know what I'm doing. So he arranges a meet uh, and takes that councilman Harris with him. They go to a uh, racetrack uh, where all dealings happen, I guess, in mm-hmm. England. Uh, and of course, he plans on just buying them off because I guess like $5,000 was stolen, but he's going to pay him six. 60 grand just to cool things off but this turns out to all just be a big old double cross and uh harold just murders uh the two heads of the ira down in london as well as mm. this councilman and just cleans his hands of the whole matter it's like that's it what's the worst that could happen now i've i've won um yep but he, so he returns and he goes to meet with the uh american gangster and but he's like done with this He's like seen this happen before in Cuba and he wants nothing to do with the IRA or these problems. Um, here he cuts quite the promo on America and talking about how this is Britain. Mm-hmm. Things we get things done. Um, and then he goes off to dinner and Harold's mistakes come to back to bite him in the ass. You don't say. That's how it goes. So right. RJ... Had yes. you, have you seen or have you heard of Long Good Friday before uh, this week? I had never heard of it. And uh, to be very honest, I looked at what the next movie was, I think, three times. And I kept forgetting what it was. And I didn't even remember what it was until you brought me the actual physical movie. And I watched it. Um, I don't know why. For just for whatever reason, I it wouldn't stick with me, man. Huh. So I've never, I had never seen this. This was the first watch for me. So you went in cold. So uh, you can go ahead and mm-hmm. just start telling me what you think of this movie. Oh man, uh, that's a lot of pressure. You know, I'm not usually used to talking about what I think about movies. Um, geez. Uh, okay, I think this movie is all right. Uh, I don't think it's stellar. I don't think it's great. Um, maybe it is. Maybe I missed what makes this movie so good. Uh, This was a movie, though, when I watched it, uh, the whole time I was kind of wondering, what makes this a Criterion movie? Like, what is the big thing in this movie that maybe, like, sets it off, right? Like, so for Sid and Nancy, like, I feel like the thing about that movie was the story they were telling, the uh, apparent great performance by Gary Oldman, you know, and then like just the circumstances of what they were doing and when they did it. So it's like, I can kind of understand why that was in there, even though I didn't like it. And even like Salo, the movie I hated, I understand why it's in the Criterion collection. It's like, okay, I get this. Like this is a a fancy movie that they put in there, but this one, I got to say, I still don't really know why it's in here. Um, not that it's bad or anything. I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's like great. I think it works better as like, um, I don't want to say like a cult movie, but it's like dudes like you who watch like 1980s like gangster movies. Like it would fit. It would be like at the, in that list, but not a criterion list. So, anyways, sure. Um, uh, Bob Hoskins is fucking dope. He's the coolest. I love him. Uh, who framed Roger? Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies. Uh, so I'll and Shmi and Hook, he's the coolest. So I'll always love him. And he's he's wicked as like a little British bulldog, just mm-hmm. chomping chomping around at people and stuff like that. Uh, Helen Mirren was super cool. Uh, I gotta say, um, as a younger lady, she was a stone cold fox. Uh, yes, indeed. She's uh, still Pat, pretty foxy. 
She is. Yeah, she is. She's a uh, she's a charming lady. Um, Patty Kosidin, uh from those Edgar Wright movies and last week's Alphaville. Uh, he was pretty cool, but I found his real voice weird. Um, Eddie Constantine's uh, Italian voice. I think that. Like, yeah. But I think like I'm not sure how much of that was a put on, but like because yeah, like uh, like for, I was reading like he's he was always dubbed. Like he was like an American mm-hmm. actor who was like in a bunch of French movies, and so he always just yeah. wound up being dubbed. And so this was like an unusual thing for him where he had to actually talk. Um, yeah. But I, I thought well, he was like I mean he was just a gangster like it was totally in line I mean this is like because the movie was actually like made in 1979 but didn't get released mm-hmm. for like a year um, mm-hmm. and like I, I mean it's, it's totally post like Coppola Godfather and like American gangster stuff so I mean that's kind of where he was with that mm-hmm. I think no yeah like I think it was fine I just thought like his voice was weird um, but anyways I'll just rattle through like so that's what I think about the movie as a whole yeah and you know what uh, um, I'm I, I'm in agreement with you, or at least I'm on the same yeah. page. Um, okay. So when I first watched this movie back, like uh, it was kind of the that period of time when everything, everyone loved British gangster movies. So it's like that late mm-hmm. '90s, early 2000s when like Guy Ritchie was like the in director. Uh, yeah. Everyone was watching Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, everyone Snatch. watched Snatch. I hey, I, I saw Snatch like three times in theater. I thought that movie was just like amazing. Um, Nerd. I know. Uh, That's back when I could, like had time to go to like theaters multiple times and like just go see movies I loved. Uh, Yeah. And like Sexy Beast. Uh, There was like Gangster Number One. Uh, A few years later, there was like Layer Cake. Uh, A few years earlier, there's movies like Croupier, which is kind of in the same ballpark. Uh, A movie called The Craze, which is like Mm -hmm. a biopic on the Cray brothers. Um, And then like, uh, like when you started watching that stuff, everyone started going back a little bit and like going to back to like kind of like the British gangster uh, like films. And there's like Get Carter, which is probably the most famous. Um, yeah. And then like there's Long Good Friday that gets brought up a lot. Uh, there'll be another movie actually we'll be watching down the road uh, called Mona Lisa, also starring mm. Bob Hoskins. Um, and Ooh. I remember being really good, but I also remember this movie being really, really good. Like, um, and like, yeah, I, I, I had like, when I first watched this movie, I loved it. I thought it was so amazing. Um, I couldn't wait to get a copy of it uh, on DVD because, mm-hmm. um, like, there was the Criterion, but I think it like, went out of print like, years and years ago, but uh, Anchor Bay put it out. And the copy I lent you has, like, the, the hilarious slipcover with, like, Yeah, great... that's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. so, like, inappropriate. It doesn't make any goddamn sense how it's, like, mm-hmm. even considered, like, a cult movie in the way that, like, people <laughs> talk about cult movies, like, grindhouse yeah. cinema. Well, that's um, what I mean. Like, I, I is what I was saying. It's like, I don't want to use that term either. It's mm-hmm. like, but I can see why other people would be able to, or you can easily label it as such. Yeah. So yeah, there's like, I mean, I mean, so I've always been like a fan of like crime movies, like like 70s thrillers essentially. Um, yeah. And then like, so I mean, yeah, like in British crime films, uh, I guess like the appeal with them has always been that they're always a bit nastier and like less upbeat than like American films. Yeah. They're always like a little bit grimier. Like, cause I mean, like England is like an old country. Like it's been around for thousands of years as a society. And uh, you can't prove that. <laughs> I guess not hollow earth, man. And um, <laughs> so you have like this, like really lived in city. That's just like being built and built on top of itself. And so it always like has yeah. like a griminess and a lived in quality that you just don't get particularly like out West in North America where it's like, everything's mm-hmm. new. And if anything gets a little too old, it gets bulldozed. They don't do that there. Um, not to the level, at least that we do here. So everything was, has like i don't know sinks and like bathrooms are always a little bit filthier and mm-hmm. uh there seemed to be like an aesthetic that kicked in in like the 60s and 70s where like british film just always seemed like 
gross and like brown <laughs> and so that might have, yeah that might be with like quadrophenia that's the oldest one i can think of where you see like another you see dudes like in those in- communal <laughs> bathhouses and it's like so <laughs> dirty and then they go and eat like beans and shit and you're just like oh man england you're like england, england's so gross in their underpants <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah well because i guess like yeah john mckenzie the director of this he started off uh as an assistant to ken loach who basically like is like i guess the cliche is like he's the kitchen sink filmmaking like it's just like it's like like it is brown filmmaking like poor people like that's what he like that's what he uh like grew that's what that's what he like shot in so like that carries over and like that was a big influence like on british film like you watch like their television everything's always gray dark grimy tea stained um like it's just always Mm -hmm. dirty and i mean yeah so watching long good friday again um i don't know there just seemed to be like the first hour or so kind of like not much happened and i was seriously kind of like what is like what's so special about this movie like i don't get it Mm -hmm. like but then like i think because at that point i was like well nothing's going on it wasn't until the um the pub gets bombed and that's like when the movie kind of picks up again and i'm like okay right and then like i started remembering scenes because it's been years since i'd watched this and uh, i'm like okay right then that happens and then the the boat scene happens and the boat scene's really good uh Mm -hmm. like with 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 jeff and stuff like that and like i forgot about like him getting just stabbed in the throat in that sweet sweet blood geyser um and then like him like then bob hoskins coming off the boat and just covered in the blood and there's like this like great tracking shot that was like shot handheld and like it's the movie has a totally different vibe to it um Mm -hmm. And then from that point on, I started being like, oh, yeah, no, I enjoy this movie. Like, but, um, yeah, I can definitely see where you're asking, like, I don't know why this is in the Criterion Collection. Because it's kind of a, it's just like an odd fit as far as, like, mm, why it's there. Especially, like, in the line of, like, all these movies that we've been watching. It's kind of like, because John McKenzie, yeah. this is his only film in the Criterion Collection. And it's also, his, it's his best movie. Like, because a lot of his yeah. stuff is, like, you read it and you're like, oh, okay. Like, no one has ever talked about this thing mm-hmm. other than when they talk about Long Good Friday. Uh, and yeah. there's and there's not a lot about this movie written. I tried looking. Like, the uh, essay that comes with the uh, old Criterion DVD that I looked on their website for, not so great. Um, mm-hmm. I read, like, uh, I found a book uh, online just talking about, like, British gangster movies. And there wasn't really too much about it. Like, it kind of delved into, like, the political backdrop that the movie was made with. And, right. I mean... It's not super, it doesn't grab me too much, mm-hmm. like the way that it's been talked about. But I mean, when I think about this movie, I don't think there's like, oh, I don't know. There's not like a real weight to it that I'm like so, drawn to. The way I see it, I think there's three kinds of movies that get put into the Criterion Collection. Okay. There's movies that are amazing. There's movies that are influential or historically important. Okay. And there's movies that shouldn't exist. <laughs> So like a movie like like Salo is a movie that shouldn't, shouldn't exist. exist. Yeah. So like that's how I feel like any movie that I've come across in the Criterion, I can usually fit it in one there in in somewhere. It's like oh yeah, this is like amazing, or yeah, this is influential or historically important or shouldn't exist. And then when I watched this one, I was like, I don't think this is any of those things. Like it's a decent enough movie, but I don't really, I don't know. Did they just need to fill a spot? Do they just really like Bob Hoskins? Like, what's um, it about? I could see, like, I mean, like, like I was saying, like, maybe it's a movie that just hasn't, like, uh, aged well into, like, how movies mm-hmm. are being made now. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, 
I, I, I could see, imagine that, like, because this movie came out, like, so 1980, maybe it just wasn't available, and the movie, like, honestly, probably came down to, like, one of the people involved with Criterion back in 98, where they were fans of the movie, and they're like, this yeah. movie needs to come out, and they are the company that put it out. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, I mean, it's kind of, like, probably not that far off from, like, even, like, kind of with RoboCop. Maybe it was just a movie that, like, they wanted to put it out, like, the best version of it available. Because back when they put it out, they wanted to make sure there was the X-rated version of this movie. Uh, sure. And they wanted it on Laserdisc at the time, and they probably still had the license, which is why they then mm-hmm. put it out on DVD. Because, I mean, even, like, Silence of the Lambs for, like, for in that time period, that movie was, like, way, like, putting that in, it was, like, only, like, seven years old. Like, that was probably, mm-hmm. the, that probably is the most recent movie that they've put out at this point um, in the collection. Right. And then, I mean, it's been out of print for years because, obviously, licensing license agreements change. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I'd say, like, compared to, like, a lot of movies, like, it's, it's surprising because I, I, like, really liked this movie at one point, like, a lot. I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. But there's something just, like, missing from it that, like, pushes it over into, like, um, in one way or another, like... Oral sex vampires? Yeah, it definitely doesn't have any of those going on in it, so that's always a bummer, but um, maybe maybe the person that put it in, they just really thought that that the score, that that main theme was amazing, which it is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right? You pick up what I'm saying by that little ding there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this movie's pretty good. So, do you want to hear some stuff I liked about this movie? I guess. Since uh, I go for. I've it. talked about a few things. Oh. I'll just. I'll, yeah. One, one other thing I'll mention too is like so uh, the film uh, got distributed by Handmade Films, which was uh, George Harrison's yep. production company. Um, and they mm-hmm. actually there's like several uh, Handmade Films that are in the Criterion Collection that we'll be coming across, like uh, um, Life of Brian, Time Bandits with Nail and I. Mm. so maybe it could, it could very well have been like they had an agreement with that and like hey let's get those so movies just, out that they like stuff that like hey we're gonna put out really good versions of these movies that we like from this band like where it's kind of like these are like more like not even, like actually some of those movies are uh, excellent movies but maybe like they're like it's just got these movies that aren't available out whereas like sure and they're like they're important in the sense that like you should see them um and in, in when that movie came out and even in like 1998 when it would have been released i mean that's sort of like that post tarantino crime popularity thing i mean it was right. a really good time to get out british crime stuff that that honestly could be it now that i'm thinking about it that way it's possible, I yeah. guess. But I don't know. Go on, tell us about what you liked, RJ. Uh, so I just looked. It's a little bit of a medley, but I just want to get through some of my notes because I think my notes are funny, and I don't care if anyone else agrees. Uh, and I'm leading with stuff that's not funny, so that's a whole bait and switch. But uh, I think the cold op- uh, cold open is awesome, where like there's just a bunch of stuff going on for like 15 fucking minutes, and you have no idea what's going on. Like the first dialogue, I think, is like him and Helen Mirren on the boat and he's like want bloody marys like bloody marys on a good friday he doesn't say that but i thought that was cool too mm-hmm. but that's like the first thing people even say and it's like 15 minutes in the movie like you get people driving around exchanging briefcases there's like a cottage scene where dudes just get shot like a car explodes there's all this shit happening and they don't give you any like context for it and i think that's super cool uh i like the x-files and they were masters of the cold open so i think that's really good yeah uh i wrote down void from dumb and dumber and i can't remember where it is but there's a dude who looks just like jim carrey from dumb and dumber in this movie yeah, at one point is he the f- and he just he just pops up for like a second or something near yeah the start. i think he's the guy that um the uh 
uh, Bob Hoskins' buddy Peter, the gay guy, mm-hmm. he's being like he's like he's making uh, the hand at the touches bar. at the bar. That guy yeah, making the yeah. making the faces, yeah. Right, that, exactly. That, that, that's who it is. <laughs> Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Um, this movie has really over-the-top uh, music cues, like sound cues. Yeah. Like when uh, you first see Bob Hoskins walking in like the airport or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's like he's walking and then you hear the glass shutter. And it's like... It like uh, it's like replicated or something, and it like keeps going. Or, but it's like there's no glass breaking, so I don't know where it comes from. So it's got like crazy over-the-top music cues. Um, which is cool. Uh, and then I have two, uh, two notes here that are in succession and I'm just going to read them for what they are and not give you any follow up, uh, butt crack speedos and (laughs) ass slash with an exclamation point. As we've discussed, as we discussed, you didn't mention the butt crack speedos though. Oh, is that on Pierce? Uh, uh, him or someone else. Someone's in the pool, and you can see his butt crack just like hanging out of his speedo, which is pretty funny. Yeah, it's probably it's probably Peter Pierce because there's not that many dudes in that bit. Yeah, well, he's trying to he's trying to you know get uh, get a little eye action from the other guys. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe he did want to drop his butt crack a little bit. So oh, so this was Pierce Brosnan's first movie. Oh really? Yeah, and he gets hmm. like what like a a few mumbled lines of dialogue. <laughs> He's like in the. Sh- I don't think he gets any dialogue. He's in well, the shower. Yeah, when and he's, he's like, yeah, he's Hi. showering off, and that's about it. And he goes kind of like, Mui. and that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then not again until the very end. And he doesn't say um, a damn word in there either. Yeah, I know. Like, I thought he looked really young, but I didn't notice or know it was his youngest or his first movie. Yeah. Um, there's two fucking dudes named Harold in this movie. Is that weird? Is there? Because like. Well, because Bob Hoskins is named Harold. Yeah. And then there's another point where they're talking like the informant. It's like uh, Harold. Well, from the, the, the councilman, his name's Harris. Yeah, but there's a guy, there's another guy named Harold, isn't it? Like, because <sighs> when the councilman yeah. like points him to the guy who yeah. gets the ass slash, he's like, yeah, it's Harold downtown. Oh, okay. Or something. And I, I was like, know. are they both named fucking Harold? Is that like. Is that like a mistake or is that like a weird like well, there's, could weird be a, thing they just put in? It's like, you know what? There's a lot of people in the world who have the same fucking name. This so, is you very know, true. It's, 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 it's bound to fucking happen. It's real. <laughs> yeah, it's real. So I guess maybe that's what that is. Yeah. Um, I think so when Helen Mirren takes the Americans out to dinner, they have the most basic bitch ass or dinner orders I've ever fucking seen. All of them order. It's like, what do you want? He's like, uh, I love the soup du jour and uh, the chef special. Yeah. And they all order that. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like, you're just going to like be like, oh, I don't care. Just give me whatever you want. But they all do it. Oh, my God. That made me so mad, Jared. <laughs> I was like, because I, if like the American, it's like that guy's going to order like a steak or something, right? Yeah. He's like, uh, soup du jour and uh, yeah, the special. Well, he's got it's other like, things on his mind. So he's, like, he's, well, like, he's letting the other people make the decisions he doesn't care about. Oh man, that, is it about business? That made me so mad, Jared. Uh-huh. I can't even tell you. Um, and then just two things: uh, the meat locker scene is super cool. No oh, yeah. uh, Obviously, that, that's like one uh, of the most iconic moments in the movie. Yeah, I hope yeah. To. Obviously, and then uh, the end shot uh, is so good. Um, so just I guess spoilers really quickly, but the ending where it's just focusing on Bob Hoskins as the car is driving away for so long, it's just that like close up of his face and he's like, he's like busting out his bottom teeth and then he's like licking his lips and oh man, so intense. Yeah, that shit's oh, awesome. Yeah, that's like the that's the only thing I really remember from the movie before I rewatched it. 
um, was that last scene. I just remember being like, the music, the, the fantastic yeah. score plays over it, and you just get to see him. And it's one of my favorite things. And I think we talked about this like like several episodes ago, but like one of my favorite things in movies is like that moment of like a, a lull or a moment of like slowdown where you just, just get to see mm-hmm. a character stop and think, and you get to watch them think their way through something. Um, I remember like mm-hmm. talking about it, I think, in the, like, it was like with Jackie, Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson, yep. Jackie Brown, like him just stopping and thinking. It's like th- these are moments I just like, I always think about in movies, and like nobody wants to do them um because they're boring but i mean like this movie is like has such an excellent ending like just like you you get to see him go through mm-hmm. the whole thought process of how can he get out of this situation and you get to see yeah. him just play it through and you start he starts like huh, oh oh and you start getting the slow realization that there is absolutely nothing he can do he's he's done and like yeah. i'm always like like i guess it's just jumping to the end of the movie i'm always like really horrified by like helen mirren's face in the other car when she's like oh yeah when she's looking at him like it's like so like oh my god like it's like it scares me so much because i'm like fuck well, like, like if i saw that yeah. in real life i'd be like oh like i oh it's like she's like man she brought it she brought it well, she, she's not helen mirren for nothing buddy yeah i know it's the fucking queen we're talking about yeah. here man yeah she's the yeah there's like a whole thing like uh there's this she's there's another movie where she plays a, a gangster's mall uh there's the movie mm-hmm. uh, it's peter greenaway's the cook the thief his wife and her lover uh mm-hmm. yeah so she gets to like do that again um she gets to get have sex with a dude in a meat locker and piles of meat and stuff. So it's a um, meat, mm, meat. What is this movie? Uh, I think the, I might need to watch this. Well, thing. Th- th- this would go onto the uh, list I just saw you post. Uh, movies I hated that Jared made me watch. This is oh. that that would fall into that uh, that category I think for you with, because people either love Peter Greenaway or they hate Peter Greenaway. It's one mm. or the other, and uh, I do have it. If you want to borrow it, I have a Region Two uh, DVD. Of this bad boy yeah why don't why don't you why don't you sling me that thing and uh if it is a bad one it's gonna go into that list i made that uh i i didn't see you uh react to it in any way so apparently it's accurate i, I literally um, just saw it <laughs> um, well yeah whatever those movies suck uh but i i'll definitely watch that one movie uh if not if only for uh stone cold fox helen mirren oh yeah she gets pounded a lot in that movie jesus man yeah all right. Yeah. Oh, here's well, one, here's here's a here's a note I wrote. So far, this movie is nowhere near as good as I remember it being. Actually, kind of generic. Not a lot of scope. That was what yeah. I was thinking up until the casino uh, bombing happens, and then the tension really ratchets mm-hmm. up for me. Um, yeah, that's like definitely the um, the turn. Yep. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's like the scene with like, when there's like, when I think it's when they're talking with the, uh, the, the dirty cop and like, just talking about like the difference between villains in the IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice uh young Bricktop from Snatch in the movie? Uh, I don't know any of the words you just said, so but, I'm just going to say, do, do you, sure. Do you remember Bricktop from Snatch? He's the, he's nope. the, no, he's, uh, he's I the, did not see snatch three times in theaters. I watched snatch, uh, snatch once, uh, at oh. my house, like seven years ago. Okay. So, well, Alan, that's, Alan, that's, Alan Ford, uh, the great Alan Ford, he, he has like a young appearance in there spouting off some cockney ramblings that don't really make sense to, um, uh, uh, our ears and, uh, something about someone being locked uh, up, but, I, but he's got a very distinctive look and it's like, Oh, it's him. I know this Alan Ford guy. Yeah. I know him. Yeah, folks. If you haven't watched the TV show uh, Snuffbox, that was all six episodes. He also shows up in that, and he's amazing as is Snuffbox. Apparently, he's in a movie called Strippers vs. Werewolves. Have yeah. you seen that? I have not. 
Well, add it to the Criterion mm-hmm. list, I guess. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did you enjoy the uh, Cockney? Did you uh, Were you able to follow along with the movie very well? Because this DVD uh, had no subtitle option. Most of the time. But, uh, yeah, this there, one's not too I, bad. I, I will say there was about 15% of the dialogue I did miss, for sure. Okay. But, uh, you know, I'm a professional. I, I pieced it together, and uh, I kept on rolling. Um, Bob Hoskins is easy to listen to. Same with Helen Mirren. Yeah. Um, there's just a couple of the other guys. Like, sometimes when they were talking fast, I think, it was just like, oh, man, I didn't catch any of that. A couple of geezers they are. And that's why they talk yeah. They talk funny. What a bunch of old fuckers, hey? Yeah. Why do they talk funny? Um. Know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, a few facts about the movie I'll share. Uh, sure. So a guy named Barry Keefe wrote the script. Uh, its original title, RJ, The, yes. the Paddy Factor. Oh, my God. What the fuck <laughs> he, does that mean? He, and he thought that was a good title, The Paddy Factor. It's like, yeah, we'll get on the paddy uh, wagon. <laughs> it's like Sounds like a porno or something. Oh, oh it's just fucking stupid. Like, it's so funny. Like, I heard that. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, and he's like, yeah, they changed mm-hmm. it. And it's like, yeah, that was probably a good call. Um, oh, so Bob Hoskins was offered the role while in the hospital with a 40-foot tapeworm inside of him after eating raw meat while making the film Zulu Dawn. <laughs> What? So apparently Bob Hoskins, like, so the movie Zulu Don, uh, set down in somewheres in Africa. Uh, he like, like was like, they had like the actual tribe there and they offered him some like raw meat and for like being part of the tribe or something like that. And he ate it and then he got a tapeworm and they had to get it out. And that's when he was like, while in the hospital, they're like, Oh, Hey, you want to be in this movie? And he went, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this makes me feel bad. Yeah. There's like this one quote in like, there's a, the, on the DVD, the anchor Bay one that I lent you, uh, there's the, the making of documentary on there, which is where the, most of this information is coming from. Uh, when John McKenzie says like, uh, you know, when I set out to make this, I said, let's make the best possible film we can. And I'm like, what, what a hilarious concept. Like, indeed. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, no. Hey, why don't we just go make a huge piece of shit? Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't think anyone ever sets out to do that unless, like, they're in the producers or something. Um, yeah. So, uh. yeah. So, uh, one thing I was thinking about with this movie was just, like, how it being shot on location just makes such a huge difference, though. Um, yeah. Like, it just, yeah. It's something that you take for granted, especially nowadays where, like, nothing is shot. Uh, on location because a lot of places mm-hmm. don't look like this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you were saying, like how you really love the cold opening. Um, it was so yeah, weird because like I watched it, and I was kind of like I was I, I was kind of frustrated because I was trying to remember what was important about this scene. Like I couldn't remember, I couldn't yeah. remember the IRA stuff. And I was like, what is all this? And then like by the time they like do the boat scene where it's all laid out, I'm like, oh right, the beginning of the movie. <laughs> I yeah. completely forgot uh, about that. Uh, I, I will say I do like cold opens, but um, that whole the scene with the cottage where people are getting shot, like it took me the whole movie to figure that out. And then I was like, oh man, I was like, well, could have been useful to know what that meant like a little earlier in the film. Jesus I guess. film. Yeah, come on, dude. Yeah. But uh, no, I do like cold opens, but I do think this one, like, there were certain parts like that one where it's just like, oof, it's like hurry this up, guys. <laughs> Come on, uh, Come yeah, it's, on. yeah. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty late into the movie where they reveal everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, the other thing I'll mention too is uh, Helen Mirren took the role with the understanding that rewrites to her character would be made because I guess like the original character in the script, which like this script sounded like pretty shitty actually. Um, I'm surprised yeah. they did like as good a job as they did with it. But it's like she was like a ditzy, like stereotypical female character that like, nah. and, and Helen Mirren was like, well, I'll do it, but like maybe you could make her like a bit more intelligent. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. We'll, we'll get around and do that. We'll do that. But then they didn't. But I guess like a lot of the like changes like with like with the character that she did was like like on set while they were making the mm-hmm. movie saying yeah this is what the character would say or this is what they would do um the one thing that's like t- like mm-hmm. really like which makes me shake my head is like it was like uh, the scene where like uh they get they meet up again and um she tells uh hoskins that like she had to tell the americans like about what's going on because they figured mm-hmm. it out because they're not idiots and he and like i guess that was going to lead to a sex scene but instead they went a different route and i'm like yeah i'm really glad they didn't do that sex scene because it would have been horrendous like especially with the music yeah. in this movie like it would just been so awkward like i couldn't imagine it it's like so like wow what a great step that was because usually they ruin movies with like bad sex scenes especially in the 70s where like time just slows right down the saxophone comes out and Ooh, people just bump yeah. and grind a soft focus and they didn't do that so thumbs up to long good friday for not falling down that hole it sounds like it was helen mirren who made that decision so that's just one more thing to be thankful for about helen mirren yeah um yeah and uh the other thing i wrote here was quote unquote i want to lick every inch of you are you talking to me (laughs) uh i could be no uh Mm. that 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 line is so (laughs) It's so funny to me. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that, that here goes to that sexual tension. <laughs> and then, like, like it, does, and it doesn't go anywhere, which is good. They don't do anything else with it. It's like, oh, yeah. he's turning on her and whatever. It's like, no, he's just dead now and uh, dead on the floor of a boat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, that line could go either way. Uh, maybe they would have been really into it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. Next time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's like kind of all I've got to say about the movie. Um, yeah, it's just, fine. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like uh, an example of like British gangster movies. But yeah, I was kind of surprised by how uh, little it did for me watching it again. Um, yeah, there's there's not much to it, eh? It's not bad, but yeah, it's like just kind of a movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a movie. Yeah, but let's see uh, who actually hates this movie, RJ. Mm, lay it on me. All right. Uh, Matthew Roberts gave this film two stars and says, slow, but not in a good way like Tarkovsky. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> that, uh, like, no kidding. Uh, feels yeah. more like a soap opera than anything else. And I'm like, ah, that's not true at all. I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I, mm. It's like that weird thing when they always des- people describe things as being soap opera when they just don't like something. It just doesn't make any sense. Even when it doesn't make sense, I'll say it. But yeah, uh, sorry, Long Good Friday. It's not Tarkovsky. Um, Jack seventeen oh four. He gave this two stars as well. A bloke at work has been going on about watching this for ages as it is such a quality classic. I can only presume he meant a different film because this is dated, stapled together, and just generally poor. In fact, it only got the mark it did because of the cast. Bob Hoskins is a big-time gangster who, whilst trying to broker a lucrative deal, the Americans decides to pick a fight with the IRA. Not going to end with a glass of wine and nice chat, is it? It doesn't have an ending that is just lazy. 
you piece of paralyzed piss. Jesus. Like, if if any complaint about this movie, it is not the ending. Like, no, that's no, like that, the ending's like the best part. I, it's like people complain about the ending of No Country for Old Men still. Oh, fuck off, man. <laughs> it, it's the same people who are like, you know, the Sopranos didn't really have an ending. It's like, oh, fuck yeah. you. Yeah, there's another fuck one. You. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you. Oh God! This these things make me so mad. I hate you for doing these. Uh, I love them. People uh, suck. Mongoose Commander. I don't know. Two stars. Am I supposed to care that a bunch of annoying criminals get attacked and cheated out of corrupt land deal? I think was mm-hmm. this ever really clarified and eventually killed? Uh, the Goodfellas guys were charismatic and the Godfather characters had depth. You could forget they were scummy people and care about them. This just had a dozen assholes being assholes for what felt like an eternity. Well, yeah, that happens, I guess. But I, I mean, I, I mean, like, the, I think like it's just one of those movies that I don't know. The characters are good. It's got a good yeah. ending. It's got good music. But I don't know. It just doesn't have like a that wow factor, as I believe uh, Starbucks tells people they're looking for when they're hiring people. The wow factor. The wow factor. Is that true story? Is that a sex, that a sex move? Uh, well, see, hey, we were talking about how this movie cut its sex scene for like uh, actual character development and feeling. So, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Sex move lacks the Starbucks sex move wow factor. Well, that's lame. Yep, sure is. Well, that's mm-hmm. it, I think. Yeah, I don't got nothing else to say. Another, another one down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, after the break, uh, we're going to take you on a drive somewhere, and there's nothing you can do about it. Thank God it's... I just realized something. What? I never asked you, why the fuck is this movie called The Long Good Friday? It's set on The Long Good Day Friday or weekend. Yeah, but that's it, though? That's it. It's just set during those few days. Yeah, but, like, I'm a good Christian boy. I know about Good Friday. Yeah. They don't, they're not eating no fish and chips in this motherfucker. Like, <sighs> well, remember, because, yeah, at the very beginning of the movie, Bob Hoskins' mother is taken to church, and they're doing the, yeah, whole, I know. The, the whole neither here nor there. And then there's the bit where uh, the guy gets crucified in the old abandoned building. Yeah, that's not enough for me. I wanted to see dudes eating fish and talking about the sacrament and Jesus and all that stuff. Oh. Hey, folks, you can follow us on the Twitter uh-huh. at Criterion Creeps. You can email us at criteriancreeps at gmail.com. We get lonely mm-hmm. over here, 
It's been a while, folks. I know there's new listeners out there. Let us know that you mm. exist. Tell us about your recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. You can see our lists. You can find out about the movies I've made RJ watch that he hates. Yes. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Rate, subscribe, like, follow, all that good Part. stuff. Yep. And hey, next week, our break from double header episodes comes to an end as we are now oh, confronted well. with two decidedly unique takes on two of the most popular characters in all of horror. Spines 27 and 28, Flesh vs. Frankenstein, a.k.a. Andy Warhol's Frankenstein from 1973, and Blood for Dracula, a.k.a. Andy Warhol's Dracula from 1974, both directed by Paul Morrissey. Is that Morrissey from The Smiths? Different Morrissey. Oh, well, I don't care then. When you said most iconic characters, I thought you were talking about Ernest and Rimshot. Oh, Uh, those are different. Those movies haven't been made yet. We haven't made them yet. Well, when's the first Ernest? Oh, no. When's the first <laughs> Ernest movie in the Criterion? Andy Warhol's with Jim Ernest. <laughs> with, with Jim Barney, yeah. Oh, man. Now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that movie. Well, how that it would sounds go. pretty fucking great, doesn't it? It's like 12 hours long. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you making, know what make, I mean, Vern? Making offense. <laughs> oh, Maintenance. I miss Jim Varney. Yeah. Too soon. Too soon. Oh, okay. Anyways, folks. Well, that's it. See you next week. Yeah, I guess. We'll be your ear friends another time. Ugh. Gross, man. <laughs>